Now friends, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 4 tonight. We sang that song in part because Paul addresses children uh, in this passage. Now if you think a sermon for children should be warm and fuzzy and cute, then this sermon will not satisfy you. In Toy Story 2, the old prospector, Stinky Pete, says to Jesse, the yodeling cowgirl, it's a dangerous world out there for a toy. And I want to say, it's a dangerous world out there for children. And every parent here knows that and loves their children. We have no doubt about that. And wants their children to live a good life. I want, I want you to hear that. Paul turns his, relation, his, his, his study now from the relation of husbands to wives. How husbands should love their wives and how wives should submit to their husbands. He turns now uh, to the subject of, of how we live in the home together as parent with child and child toward their parent. How should the gospel influence life in a family, and how should Christian children relate to their parents? That's the question. How should you relate to your parents if you are a child? And all of us have parents, though we are not all young children. We want to consider that. We want to read God's Word from Ephesians 6 tonight, 1 through 4. Let me invite you to give your attention to the Word of God. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. This is God's word. May he write it on our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. And Father in heaven, you know all the sin that goes on every day in our hearts, with our words, and in our actions, and in our homes. We thank you that Jesus grew up as a child and lived in a home, and he gets it. He understands And I pray that you would minister to us tonight, that you would speak to us, that you would teach us and train us, that you would equip us to walk in your ways. Have mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we want to take just the first three verses chiefly and look at how should children relate to their parents. Next week, how should parents relate to their children? Now, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that there's a criminal trial going on of an abortion doctor, Kermit Gosnell. He's charged with murdering children just moments after they were born alive, having actually aimed to kill them in the womb prior to that. It's a common occurrence at some level in our culture today. There's a famous bioethicist, a professor of bioethics at Princeton University, Peter Singer, who has argued that parents, I told you this wouldn't be cute fuzzy, he's argued that parents ought to be allowed to decide whether their kids should live after they're born, that they ought to 
be able to decide whether they want to get rid of the ones they don't want and simply have them killed. Frankly, not all parents everywhere think their kids are worth keeping. Not everybody thinks their kids are worth raising. Not everybody, sadly, thinks their kids are worth spending time with. And perhaps we have felt the sting of that in our own lives. What I want you to hear from this passage is God doesn't think that way about you. And in this passage, he speaks directly to children. And he does not think what the world thinks about kids. God thinks children are valuable. He thinks you are important. He loves children. He cares for children. And he welcomes children into his family. And he makes them sons and daughters forevermore. And I want you to hear that. Children, the one and only true God loves you. And he has something to say to you tonight about how you live in your family. And we want to get at that by asking three questions. Who is the Apostle Paul speaking to in this passage? What's he saying? And why does he say it? Okay, who's he talking to? He's talking to children here, right? Verse one, when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He's talking directly to you. One, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is the story of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. There's this great story there, turn to it sometime, where, where it says they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. The parents who had begun to believe in Jesus had begun to bring their children, even Luke tells us, even their infants, their little babies, to Jesus in order for Jesus to bless them. So they bring these little children and they're coming to see Jesus. And what do the disciples do? The disciples see it and they rebuke these parents. What, what's going on in their mind must have been something like this. Well, you know, Jesus is really busy. And there's a lot to do with all these adults around here. And he doesn't really have time to deal with little kids or the problem uh, of parents with their little kids. You know, they may have been thinking something like this. Well, yeah, the kingdom is really for adults, not kids. And, and what the text in Mark says is that Jesus, Jesus was indignant. He was hot with anger at his own disciples that they would so misunderstand his approach to families and his care for children that they would so misunderstand and not, not get that God's kingdom is a family that includes the children. Christianity is for you too. It's not just for your parents. And so Jesus said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So kids are important to God, is what I want you to hear. The kingdom of God even belongs to infants, is what Jesus is saying. And he goes on to teach that uh, us adults, that we, we need to learn from helpless infants how to enter the kingdom. When he, when he says then, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In other words, you enter the kingdom not by bullying your way into it, but by being received into it. In God's kingdom, you don't make yourself fit for the kingdom. You don't do for God. God does for you. 
Just as little babies must have everything done for them. That's, that's how you get this kingdom. That's how you're received into it. So, so Jesus, what he does is he takes these children into his arms and he blesses them, laying his hands on them. You know that when Jesus blesses you, you are really and truly blessed, right? It's not a pretend blessing. You're truly blessed when Jesus himself blesses you. And he blesses with all his saving benefits, all his saving blesses, even children. And I simply want you to hear that. We've been looking at this book of Ephesians. And in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul says the most extraordinary things. That God has blessed us in Jesus with every spiritual blessing. That's not just for adults. That's for kids. That's for all his people. For all who believe in him. The the Bible says that God adopts us into his family and he makes us his own children. That he pardons all our sin. He forgives them. He redeems us. and And he lavishes us with his grace. And he pours out the Holy Spirit into us. He gives us the Spirit of Christ himself. And he guarantees that we will be with him forever in heaven. And he, he makes us alive with Christ. He gives us spiritual life. He raises us from the dead. And he brings us into his community, his body. And he makes us members of his household. And he pours out his love into our hearts. Now he does those things not just for adult Christians, but for children even. Children are a blessing from the Lord is my point, And the Lord blesses children. And I want you to hear that because it's such a contrast with our day and it was such a contrast with the day when Paul wrote this book 2,000 years ago. If you contrast the Roman culture in that day with with what Paul is saying here, it's amazing. In In the Roman culture, when a child was born, it was placed before its father's feet. And if the father stooped and lifted the child, it meant that the father welcomed and accepted that child. But if the father turned his back and walked away, it meant that the father rejected that child, refused to have that child. And the child could quite literally be thrown out. In a letter written in the year one before Jesus, a man called Hilarion wrote to his wife Alice, he was traveling, and he wrote back to her, and he, and he wrote in part this, I beg and beseech of you to take care of the little child, and as soon as we receive wages, he was off working, I will send them to you. If, good luck to you, you have a child, if it is a boy, let it live, and if it is a girl, throw it out. These unwanted children in Rome in that day would often be left outside in public areas where others could come along who might want those children. Some would come along. We know that the early Christians came along and would actually bring them home into their families and raise them as as their own. But we also know that others would come along and sometimes gather them up and feed them until they were old enough to be sold off into slavery or sold off as prostitutes in brothels. If an infant was born sick or deformed, the the Roman philosopher Seneca, an advisor to Nero, said this, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into sickly cattle lest they taint the herd, and children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. They're very callous, 
hard-hearted, uncaring attitude towards children. And I just simply want you to hear that God addresses you directly. He speaks you directly because he cares for you. He wants you to be part of his church. He loves you. He's interested in you. And that's the first thing I want you to hear here. And I want you to reflect on the fact that he speaks directly to you. Following Jesus isn't just about your parents telling you what to do. He wants you to do what he's telling you to do. Because what he's telling you is what Jesus is telling you to do. He wants you to follow Jesus. Now the Apostle Paul here expects the children to be present in the worship service as the congregation has gathered. He he expects that there will be whole families uh, together praising God and listening to God's word. That's why he speaks to children directly. He knows they're there. He doesn't believe in adults-only worship. And I simply want to say uh, it's in light of that fact that here at Redeemer, we don't separate children from the adults in worship. We do have a nursery for very young infants who wouldn't understand otherwise any of what's being said. And you are welcome to take advantage of that. You don't have to take advantage of that. But 20 years ago, when I was just out of college working in youth ministry at a large church in Cincinnati was hired to help with high school ministry. The church prior to my coming had grown large, so large that they had to add a second service in the sanctuary. And then they had to add a third service in the sanctuary. And then because they kept growing so large and they didn't have a way to build anything bigger, they they took the little elementary school kids out and moved them into what they called children's church and separated them from the adults. And then they kept growing. And and so then they took the 7th through 12th graders out and put them in in the cafeteria and had a worship service for them only. And there were a few adults that went in there and, and, and those sorts of things. But basically they separated families. And, and what do you think those high school students did when they left for college? I got to see it for three straight years. What do you think they did? Well, they felt like a fish out of water moving to a new town and trying to be involved in worship in a church uh, with multi-generations gathered in worship. They hadn't done it ever in their lives Not since they were a little kid. They'd never been with adults in worship. And so what do you think those kids did when they came back from college? They didn't enter into corporate public worship with the people of God. They went back to be with their junior high and high school friends only. And it was a a great tragedy, really, that they never watched and observed their own parents worshiping God. They never enjoyed the benefit of sitting in the pew down from somebody who was 70 years old and who was still praising God and still saying, after all these years, it's worth it. The gospel is good and sweet to my soul. Oh, friends, God's church is for every generation and likewise his worship. And so that's why we do what we do here. Christianity is both caught and taught. You have to be told, and it has to be explained, but you also have to see it and and have it modeled for you. And so then, one last thing about how he, the fact that he addresses children here. Notice he doesn't try to distinguish in the congregation. Well, which kid is like truly regenerate and born again, and which kids aren't or aren't yet? He doesn't distinguish them that way here. That's not his concern in this passage. Obviously, it is vital that children come to believe in Jesus and get a new heart from God and be raised to genuine spiritual life. That needs to happen in your life. 
But the Apostle Paul here doesn't try to distinguish among the children. He speaks and addresses them simply as members of the gathered congregation, members of God's visible community. And so that's, that's one small piece one small piece of an argument we might make for infant baptism in the Presbyterian Church. And if that just threw you off uh, and your mind spinning, just talk to me about that afterwards. But, but all this to say, point number one, who's he talking to? He's talking to children. Because he loves and cares and he's interested in your soul. Now, the second thing he says is this. What, 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 we should ask the question, what does he actually say? Well, you heard it. He said, obey your parents. And secondly, honor your father and your mother. Let's pause and think about what he's asking us to do here. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. He is not saying obey in order to get forgiven. He's saying because you've been forgiven, dear children, Obey. You don't, get, you don't obey in order to get saved. You need to be saved. And in response, you need to obey your parents. You need to learn to honor them. And if we find ourselves being disrespectful for the authority of our parents over us, and, and we, we live in disobedience to them, it's a sign of, of moral and spiritual disease and decay. It's not how we are meant to. To live and not what we are redeemed for. That doesn't make it easy to obey. But, I mean, but if you can, if you could just be constantly sassy to your parents, and if you can constantly disobey them, and your conscience isn't even troubled by that, it doesn't bother you that you're disobeying your parents. That is a sign of real moral and spiritual problems. Thomas Watson said this, you cannot honor your father in heaven unless you honor your earthly parents. The way that you honor your father in heaven is in part to honor your earthly parents is what he's saying. So, so then we might ask a couple of questions here. What if, and may it never be in your experience, I don't know too many people this has happened to, but it does happen. What if your parents actually asked you to do something God has commanded you not to do? What do you do then? Like if they told you to lie or steal. Well, then you obey Jesus and you disobey your parents because Jesus is your ultimate authority and your parents don't have the right under God to command you to sin. Though that may be a rare occurrence that sometimes happens. You obey your parents, but not at the expense of obeying God. But, but this uh, may be a question we're dealing with more frequently, what if you are a Christian and your parents aren't Christians? What do you do then? You obey your parents. What better way to show your parents the importance of Jesus and the change that Jesus really makes in your life than to actually become a more loving and more faithful and more obedient person to them rather than less? Now, if, if you're young, say, say you're an elementary school age child, you, you might feel like, you know, there's just not much I can do to serve Jesus in life. I, I can't go out of my house and serve him in the world. I mean, unless mom and dad take me or tell me it's okay. But well, what do I really do to serve Jesus? And the Apostle Paul is saying, well, there's a special word here for you. The way that you serve Jesus in your home is you 
obey your parents and you honor your father and your mother. And, and that may be, that may be a sign and a witness to your friends and neighbors as they look at your family and think to themselves, what is going on in that family? It's so different than ours. The parents and the kids are living in harmony and they're not at each other's throats. So this is one way to serve Jesus. And so he says, obey your parents. And then he says, honor your father and your mother. And to honor them is to highly value, to esteem, to respect your parents. That's what he's calling us for. He's, in other words, it's a heart issue. Uh, it's, it's not just an action, but it's a heart issue. You know, when the... When the child stands up at the, at the dining room table at dinner and stands on their chair and mom says, sit down, and child says, no, and mom says, please sit down, and child says, no, and mom says, I, I asked you and I'm telling you to sit down, and if you don't sit down, there will be consequences, and the child finally sits down and says, I'm, I'm obeying you with my actions, but I am standing up on the inside, right? Okay. When you are obeying outwardly, but in your heart of hearts, you're angry and you're moody and you're resentful and, and you're unwilling, that, that's not honoring your parents. It actually requires a heart, a heart to give willing and cheerful Obedience, loving obedience, that's what God is calling for here. And some of this, uh, if you're a teenager, you, you need to recognize that, that it's part of growing up to begin to learn to be independent. And that's a difficult process. And there's no manual in the Bible that tells parents, here is how you do it exactly well, perfectly every time. Nor is there a manual in the Bible that tells teenagers, how do I learn to become an adult and actually form my own household while still honoring my parents, even if I disagree with them. That's a hard place to be. Mark Twain famously described his own teenage years and his attitude towards his father when he said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have him around. But when I got to 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. Mark Twain, at first thought, his parents just don't get it. They don't understand the world. They don't understand me. And then he grew up and he realized his parents knew a thing or two. And that's the way it'll be for you, perhaps. When are children no longer children who have to obey their parents? We might ask that question. That's a complex question. That's a, there's a lot that goes into it. There's lots of circumstances in life. In other words, is Paul speaking only to young boys and girls who still live at home? What about college students who've sort of left home, perhaps, but haven't fully left home? What, what about a young married couple? What about in our culture where kids don't grow up? Sadly, until they're 26, 27, 28 years old, many of them are still living at home acting like children. What, what, what do we do about that? Well, well, one test is to ask yourself this question. When you go home at night and you lie down and you look up at your ceiling, you ask yourself, who's paying for that ceiling? 
That, that, that's one way to get at the issue of are you yet an adult or not? That's not true in every circumstance, but generally speaking, if you live in the home and are under the roof and somebody else is providing financially, then there is an obligation because you're still under their authority and under the authority of their roof. Generally speaking, you have an obligation to be obedient. Generally, in our culture, and every culture is different, we say that uh, you've got to be at least 18 to be an adult. And uh, we might say once you've left home and are, and are financially on your own, then your obligation to your parents begins to change. So that may happen to you while you're in college. It may wait until after college for you. But your obligation to honor them never changes. So, so what I'm saying is we don't all relate to our parents the same way at the same ages. The way that a 12-year-old relates to their parents when they're 12 is different than when they're 25. And different when you're 65 and your parents are 85 or 90. The way that you relate is going to look different at different stages of life. But we are all children. We may not all be parents, but we are all children. And we are all called to honor our parents all of our life long. Jesus in Matthew 15, and this is becoming a more and more significant issue in our culture as people live much longer, far longer than they did in Jesus' day. In Matthew 15, some, some adults were evading their responsibility to help their elderly parents in their years of need when they were frail, couldn't provide for themselves. And Jesus gives a strong rebuke to these people and basically says, no, you need to care for them who once cared for you. You need to provide for your elderly parents just as they once provided for you when you couldn't do that for yourself. And we need to think about these things. We can't just dump our responsibility to our elderly parents off on the government. We can't just dump our responsibility for our elderly parents off on the church, though the church can can come alongside and and help in some ways. We, We still have a responsibility, even as adult children, to carry out our honoring our father and our mother in old age. So this is what God commands, obey and honor from the heart. Why do that? Why would you do this? It's it's the most natural and common question for a kid to ask when when they're told to do something. Why? When they're told about something. Why is it like that? Why do I have to do this? Why? 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 That is not always a disrespectful question. Paul anticipates it. God anticipates it. He knows you want to know why. He knows you need to be satisfied with good reasons as to why you ought to obey and honor your parents. And he gives them. He piles up at least three. Notice in the first place what he says. Like a good father, God says to us, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. Verse 1. This is the first reason you're to do it. It's right to do. And Paul just sort of assumes that basically everybody knows that. Basically everybody knows, in other words, that it would be wrong to disobey. And you know this. You know that if your parents want you to do one thing, And you want to do a different thing, that the right thing for you to do is to do what your parents want you to do. Now, I think parents need to find ways in their home to allow children to respectfully 
ask for reconsideration. To respectfully hear them out and to listen to them. Paul's not saying, parents, don't listen to your children. But, but Paul is saying, when your will collides with your parents' will, you are to follow your parents' will. And everybody knows that's the right thing to do. The easiest way to see that is to think, how strange would it be if your parents obeyed you every time you disagreed with them? You know that's not the way things are supposed to be. And, you, and so likewise, you know that, that when you defy your parents... And, and they let you get away without, without some kind of rebuke or correction or discipline. You know that that's not right. You know it's right for you to obey them and it's wrong for them to obey you. And parents, it doesn't mean you never listen to your kids. It doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean you don't learn from your kids. But God expects them to obey and parents need to help their children's Children learn to obey. So it's right, he says, but then it's also written. He, he turns it, verse 2, to the commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, the fifth, and he quotes it. Honor your father and your mother. Uh, this is the first commandment, he says, with a promise. So, so in God's great ten moral commandments, after telling you you're to, you're to have God be your God, and how to worship God and not take God's name in vain or not think lightly of God and, and also to honor God's day. Right after that, God says, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to honor your mother and your father. And Paul quotes that. Honor your father and your mother. And let me just say this about that. It's not one or the other. And he certainly doesn't think you ought to be trying to pit one parent against another or if you get one response from one parent going to the other parent to get a better answer that you prefer and and I know that children do this I did it when I was a kid and it happens in my home we're all manipulators we're all trying to get what we want but Paul says you honor mom and you honor dad dad and now that's radical in Paul's day most cultures everywhere, everywhere have been patriarchal and understood that, that children in some way ought to obey and honor their father. But it is radical for Paul to say, you also honor your mother. Just as, just as we looked when we looked at husband and wife relationship, when Paul says to, to husbands, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He honors women. In the home, likewise also here, he honors mothers in the home and calls for children to honor the mothers. And dad, I want to say to you, one of the things that means is you need to, you need to help and enforce that obedience to not just yourself, but to mom so that she's not trampled on by the children in the home. So it's commanded. So, so in other words, it's written. That's the commandment. It's right. But the third thing is this. It's the last thing. It's rewarded. Notice, notice Paul's language here. Children, why should you do this? It's right. It's written. And it's rewarded. That, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is part of the fifth commandment. Live long and prosper. Somebody once said to somebody else that the desire was that you would live long and prosper. And, 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 and that's something of what the language here is. 
Now, is it always true that obedient children live long lives and lives that go really well for them? It is not always true. That sometimes children do not live to be 95 years old, but sometimes God takes them home to himself at a very early age. Don't turn this promise uh, that is a general promise into something that specifically is guaranteed to every last individual if they obey. But generally, we can say this. In, in any society where there is a property author, proper authority structure in the home and in the society where children are generally obedient, that society is generally more stable and children generally grow up to live long. The world works best. When we obey and it's generally true on the flip side that in societies where children are disobedient and flaunt authority and don't honor their parents, that society is less stable and lives are generally shorter. If you disobey your parents, you are likely going to get involved in all kinds of things that could bring about an early death. It's a dangerous world. And your parents, listen, your parents want what you want. They want you to have a happy and meaningful and purposeful life. They want you to have good relationships and be loved. They want those things for you just as you want those for yourself. And so the Apostle Paul says, do this and it's rewarded. This is a gracious promise of God here. it's, it's, um, it's, It's like a generous father To graciously promise reward for those who obey commands. Because he delights to bless his children. And so he's going to say, this is is your duty. This is what you are to do. And I'm going to reward you for doing your duty. Even though you don't deserve a reward for doing your duty. In fact, Jesus tells us that even the best servant. After having done all that God commands. Ought to simply say, I have simply done what you told me to do. Okay, we haven't done more than what God tells us to do. When we have done what God commands, we have simply done our duty. I've only done what you've commanded me to do. And and that's what our attitude is supposed to be. And here is God saying, and you know what? I love to bless my children. I love to reward you for what you ought to have done anyway. Because I'm gracious. This is not a meritorious reward. This is not a reward you deserve in light of God's justice as if God is now duty bound to give you something that you have earned and deserved and that God would be unjust to withhold from you. That is not the kind of reward we're talking about here. But it is a gracious, generous gift of God that he delights to. He delights to reward children who honor and obey their parents. And he likes to do it as a gracious and free gift. So we can conclude this way. You may be saying to me, this is all easy to say. And it is easy to say. It's not easy to do. And, And you may be saying, and you don't know my parents. Oh, you see them around the church. But you don't know what my parents are really like at home. You don't know how hard it is for me to honor mom and dad. And I would say I, I understand that it can be extremely difficult in certain situations. And what a privilege it is to be raised in a Christian home. 
And some of you are saying, well, I'm being raised in a Christian home and it doesn't feel like a privilege. My parents are big sinners. That's what you're saying to yourself. And you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Every last person in this room is a big sinner. Every parent, including the one in the pulpit. There are no perfect parents. Not in non-Christian homes, not in Christian homes. What you do have in Christian parents is people who understand that we are all big sinners. And that they are and that you are. And that we all need a Savior. And we all need to be forgiven. And you, are, you need to, as you grow up, you need to remember to your children that you need to forgive mom and dad for all their failures. Just as mom and dad need to keep on forgiving you for all your disobedience. This is how the gospel works in families. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And all the excuses that you have, that you put up to not obey your parents normally boils down to this. Your parents don't agree with you. And they don't think you're right, and you don't think they're right. And you think you're right, and they're wrong. And you think that gives you the right to do whatever you want to do. And God says, no, it doesn't. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And the grace of God leads us to do what God wants us to do. So if you can't obey your parents because it's mom and dad telling you to do this, you, dear Christian child, obey your parents because Jesus is telling you to do this. And why would you want to obey him? Because all that your disobedience deserves, he suffered hell for. And because all the obedience you ought to give but haven't that could make you acceptable to God the Father, Jesus gave to his own sinful earthly mom and dad he perfectly obeyed them so you could be perfectly adopted into the family of god that's why you obey jesus let's pray father in heaven forgive us each one parent and child every failure cleanse us and give us a give us a heart give us a heart to honor you in our homes in jesus name amen Let's stand together and sing and call out to